Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my good friend, Mr. Pete Jones. Welcome up, bro. Thanks. I still can't believe that you don't have to read that from somewhere. You've got that memorized down pat. <laughs> well, you know, I'm coming up on, what is this, 85 or episodes or so. I've I've had an opportunity to memorize it. If I could memorize those few lines, you'd be in trouble. I it's think. all about the reps. Or maybe I'd be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal, man. So it's been good. We've been sitting here actually just kind of catching up for the last 30 minutes or so and uh, talking over some of the things we've been experiencing during the whole, uh, what, what do we want to call it? The amazing story that 2020 has been. How do we want to, how do we want to phrase it? <laughs> Blessings in disguise. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Blessings in disguise and, and all the good stuff. But uh, yeah, we've got some great information to cover for you guys today. We're going to talk a little bit about the RAS. We're going to talk a little bit about feeling good and uh, maybe dive into my story and Pete's story, some of the things we've been dealing with personally. So hold on, sit back and enjoy the ride, guys. Um, Should be a good episode. So what do you got for me, man? Well, um, first of all, uh, we could quickly review uh, what happened Back in February, I was supposed to be coming here for a third podcast with you, and we were then going to discuss the RAS, or Reticular Activating System. And um, I ended up getting really sick, had a fever for about three days, um, just felt really ill and uh, weak. And uh, I slept the entire weekend, um, had to cancel with you, ended up... uh, forcing myself to go to work uh, because I wanted to save the sick time for a grandbaby we had coming up and ended up, uh, I don't know, I just kind of lost sight of everything for a little while and uh, wasn't feeling it. So I quit doing everything. I quit my morning routine, uh, did a lot more resting and, and recovery and sleeping. And then I beat myself up for it emotionally and mentally and, and thought, oh man, what a piece of shit you are you can't even do these simple little things you know it's pretty rough on myself and uh you know for someone who's got this website and is trying to help people not do those things and then to actually go in and fall into the old patterns and do those things I thought who who am I you know to try and help others do you know stop doing what I now have reverted back to doing Mm. and uh I felt like a fraud (laughs) And, and that was rough to handle. And, uh, and I mean, I, I reached out to you a few times, but then I, I discovered months later through talking with my friend Kenny at work that I was avoiding you. And I was like, wait a minute, why? Why am I avoiding Jason? I, I love this guy, you know? And then I, I realized what it was, man. I was caught up in the old ways of comparison game, you know, and comparing uh, everything that I was doing to... Uh, all that you were accomplishing and kept you up on this pedestal, right? And and saw the years and years of dedication and consistency and hard work that you've been a part of in the creation of this life that you're now living with your wife, Christina. And I, when I compared my current state, um, all my weaknesses to all of your strengths, I felt pretty poorly about myself. Wow. And I thought, you must be judging me the same way, but... I don't think that was the case. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, you know, I, when you told me that you were not feeling well, my, my first thought was, Hey man, I hope you get through it as quickly as possible. You know, I'm sending you positive vibes and love and hoping that you're 
you know, that you're doing well. And then you kind of fell off there for a bit. I didn't hear from you at all. And then I, I was wondering, I know because you told me a little bit about your story the first time we did your podcast together and the genesis behind Good in the Head and all the rest of it. So there was a part of me that was concerned that, that you might have fallen back into some of those patterns and, and not been able to escape them, right? Because uh, it's not an easy thing to overcome. Some of the inertia and the gravity of the bullshit that we carry with us, you yeah. know, as we go through life, right? Yeah, I, I fell into the old patterns and it was easy to do. Have you ever been like four-wheeling in your Jeep and get stuck in those ruts, you know, <laughs> that are already there and then can't get out? Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to get somebody to throw you a tow line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for, for me, uh, I'm surrounded by some great people, you included. My wife, she's just incredible. My son, Draven, um, and, and our, our kids, everybody. we got such a close family. But to be able to reach out and say, hey, I, I might need help getting out of these damn ruts. I'm, I'm in my four by four and I'm stuck again, you know. It's interesting that you bring that up because the minute you said that, I have an exact example from real life <laughs> with the four by four getting stuck. I was, uh, I used to live out east in uh, North Carolina, Virginia. I'm from Georgia originally. And I was working in Virginia and I had taken the Jeep and I was driving up to um I forget the uh, the name of the military base there, but I was driving up near a military base, and it was it was near Virginia Beach, and I remember there was a sign and a sand road uh, off to my right that led out to the beach, and you can drive out on the beach there in certain spots. And the sign Camp Lejeune is that? Uh, I don't think so. Was it North Carolina or is Virginia? Virginia, okay, Virginia. So I'm not sure which one that is. No. Um, it's in a Sturgill Simpson song. It'll come to me in a minute. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so I I see the sign. The sign says no access, right? Mm -hmm. And so me being the idiot that I am, I immediately turn right down this no access road. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm like, the beach is just right there. I'm not going to drive further so I can just get right there, right? And I pull out there and I get about halfway in and I'm like, this isn't going to work. And so I stop and I turn around and immediately I'm stuck in the sand. Just not doing anything, four-wheel drive, doing nothing. And I'm sitting there feeling like a total idiot, right? And then about five or 10 minutes later, a fire truck, like a, one of the fire trucks from the base happens to be going by and, and he, the guy sees me and he stops. And just like you were saying how you felt, you know, because you had failed to do what you said you wanted to do. I'm sitting there and I'm feeling this embarrassment and this shame because A, I was where I wasn't supposed to be. And B, I'm in a four by four that's stuck in the sand, right? And probably all I had to do was take some air out of the tires and I could have gotten out of there, but I didn't know that trick at the time. I was, <laughs> I was too young and stupid. And the guy looked at me and uh, he's like, how good's your bumper? And uh, he's like, cause we're going to find out. So he hooks me up and pulls me out and then he's off and down the road. And see, I'm sitting there thinking the guy's judging me mm-hmm. because I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> you feel like one. Right? And <laughs> he's probably sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I got to get back to work. You know, mm-hmm. let me help this guy out. He didn't say one word one about me being stupid or ignorant or how I shouldn't have been there. He just helped me and went on about his way. Uh, interesting. But I was casting all my projecting, projecting all my bullshit onto his way of seeing me as a fucking idiot. That's I what so I was doing with you, too. Exactly. And I think it was Emerson that said, you know, the way that we perceive others and the world in general is actually a confession of character, you know. And I I think that's a beautiful point to remember and review daily because really um, all the RAS is is a a filter 
with which we use to perceive of the self, um, of others, of situations, of everything. And the way it works is, you know, we attach meanings uh, to everything that is happening to us, you know. And then uh, if we have the correct filter, we can look at everything as actually happening for us rather than to us. So uh, the RAS is a tricky deal. Bless you. Excuse me. And uh, if we use it properly and effectively and we we find a a good use to put it to, it it can be such a gift um, for the perpetual uh, constant recreation of the self and of life and the personal reality that manifests in our physical world every day. So the RAS is, is interesting. What do you know about it? Uh, well, let's start with just like what it stands for. A lot of people listening may not understand what we're talking about. So the RAS, uh, it's just an abbreviation for reticular activating system. And this is one of the, the way I understand it, it's just one of the systems that live inside of our heads that basically cause us to see what we believe is real. Uh, that's how I think about it in the most simplistic terms. I'm sure there's much more science to it than that. But I think of it, you know, the example that's always given is you want a new car, you know, and then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere you go. Like, I want to bring this new, you know, whatever, this new red Jeep into my life. And now everywhere I go, I see a red Jeep, you know, kind of a thing. It's exactly how it works. I (laughs) want to bring a, uh, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of how how it's worked for me, right? Uh, I went to, uh, I went, I, I, I left my previous relationship uh, and it was kind of nuts, kind of crazy. And when I came out of that relationship, I was going through personal development seminars. And one of the things that I decided to do was write down what I wanted in a woman. Mm. And that started with description. You know, I like dark skin, dark hair, light eyes. You know, this is what I'm looking for personality wise. This is what I'm looking for. You know, just How long write, was your list? Uh, you know, it was like, like 10 or 12 characteristics. That I, that I want from looks to personality to goals, you know, all the rest of it, right? The That's whole package, cool. right? And so the first thing that I do at the next seminar I go to is I connect with a brunette with light eyes. Which was on your list. Which was on my list. So I had just implanted that into my brain. Of course, the personality piece and the integrity piece wasn't there, so that one didn't last. Hmm. Right. And it took me a little while to get down that far on the list because obviously you see what's superficial first. Right. But then the next uh, the next brunette was also a miss. But the third brunette was my now wife and she ticked all the boxes. Right. And when I spoke to her about this, she had actually done the same thing for what she was looking for. She had 20 characteristics that she was looking for, you know, in a man. So that's how I understand it from just the highest level. Now, uh, subconsciously, I mean, we can make a list, put it in a drawer, and then go on with life. And somehow it still can happen. Um, But can you imagine, you know, if you review daily that list and have that in the forefront of your mind at all times, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple years ago, we were moving from uh, our old rental into the home that we bought, that we live in now. And um, my wife, Carla, looked in a drawer because we're packing her stuff right and she came across a list and um, on this list was just a whole bunch of things that I had written down um, about four years before that and I never looked at that list again 
And on that list were things like um, get debt free, you know, um, buy a home, work at Boeing. You know, I had all these things. And she goes, what's this, your gratitude list? And I'm like, what? Give me that. Let me see that. And I'll be damned if most of those things hadn't been checked off. And I only made that list the one time, put it in a drawer, never thought about it again. And subconsciously, somehow, the RES did its job and it went to work. And I was kind of blown away. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. It was, it was weird. I had a similar thing happen with Christina when we, when we first got together and we started creating the agreement that we wanted to live our relationship by. Mm. We were having fun uh, one, one night and I was just like, you know, uh, let's just write down what we want, you know. And Christina took, took out an old piece of paper and started tearing it into little pieces. And so she started writing down material things that she wanted, right? Yeah. So she wrote down the material things that she wanted. And we folded them up and we put them in a little, I don't know, a little container, right? And then it got thrown in a drawer somewhere, you know, the junk drawer, you know, with the scissors and the tape and the, the Sharpie markers, right? That's where my list was. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and then, you know, same thing. We're, we're moving or we're selling. I think it was when we sold the Calgary house. Uh, we found it. And so we popped it open and sure enough, you know, a lot of the things that we wanted, we had already checked off, you know, probably more than 50% of the list and uh, we no kidding. never even looked at it again, right? Isn't that interesting how that works? Yeah. I think on some level, right, that's just a manifestation. That's a physical manifestation of what you really desire. Mm -hmm. So even though you've put the list away, your real desires still live within you and you carry them with you all the time. Yes. So you can reinforce that obviously by looking at it, however... You, you, you haven't left them, right? Like you, just because a list is hidden from view, it doesn't mean it's hidden from your mind. So uh, John Earl Shove, um was Jim Rohn's mentor, and he spoke really eloquently about the power of visualization. And Brendan Burchard's known to say that the, the visualization is one of the greatest, most underutilized tools that we can imagine. Like nobody even knows to use it. But way back in the 50s, 60s, John Earl Shove was teaching this thing, even at the White House, right? And then Jim Rohn caught up with him as a kid, and within a, a couple of years, he was a, a multimillionaire. And, and then Tony Robbins um, caught up with Jim Rohn and had Jim Rohn as a mentor for a year or two and worked under him, learned all he could, and then, bam, you know, became Tony Robbins. And on and on it goes, but... All of these uh, people have, have used visualization as a tool, and they've known and taught about the reticular activating system and used it um, to program their mind to then manifest in this physical realm what they internally were hoping and wishing for and wanting. And uh, I think that's useful for everyone. I mean, if, if they could do it, why not me, you know? Yeah, I think there's I think there's uh, some distinction in in to be made there because you've got, you know, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Secret, right? Oh yeah, John Asraf, remember the box? Yeah. So this is, I mean, the, the whole movie is basically like, all right, reticular activating system, right? It's like, yeah. here's your vision board, the thing that you want, hold it in your mind, kind of a thing, right? But it glosses over the fact that you still have to do the fucking work. Yep, you right? do it totally glosses over that fact. And because it glosses over that, so many people, a lot of people 
think negatively about that movie. They, mm-hmm. they think it's bullshit because you can't just sit at home and think about a new bicycle like mm-hmm. they do in the book, in the movie. Right? of attraction. Yeah. I'm just going to think about I'm it. I'm just going to think we'll about there. it. It's going to happen. Right. And, and that's not how it works. Right. And the point of reticular activating system, let's say for you go back to the example of the red Jeep, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I can think about the red Jeep and want the red Jeep really bad, but unless I, you know, work and save the money and, you know, go shopping for one, test drive it, and then ultimately buy one, it's not coming into my life. Or, you know, maybe I get crazy lucky and I win one somehow, right? Which is another possibility. Yeah. You know, I mean, whatever you believe is, is possible is possible, right? So there's a bunch of different ways that it could arrive in my in my driveway, you know, maybe someone gifts me one, right? All these different things can happen, but at the end of the day, you still have to do the work of making that real. And I think that's where a lot of people fall off the wagon, myself included, because Mm -hmm. that's where you bump up against the limiting beliefs. Like say the Jeep, say the Jeep is something I want to purchase. And, you know, like, let's say it's a new Jeep Wrangler and these things are selling for like 50 grand, you know, they're not cheap. Right. Um, well, I want this new Jeep Wrangler. Where am I going to get 50 grand or where am I going to get the down payment? And then ultimately, you know, the monthly payments and the insurance payments on this, this crazy expensive vehicle. Well, first of all, I wouldn't, I would never do that. I'd just go buy a rental property, but that's just me. Right. Yeah. But as <laughs> someone who wants that $50,000 car, you know, or a Jeep or whatever, they still have to overcome those limiting beliefs that they're bumping up against, you know? Yeah. So how sure. do you, how do you do that? How does the reticular activating system come into play there? It, to me, it's like, does it spark passion to the extent that, okay, I want this thing so bad that I'm willing to pay any price, that I'm willing to work any hours, I'm willing to, you know, make any number of sales calls or build any number of businesses, whatever the thing is for me to get this, you know, or what is it? Like, what's your, what is your take on how it actually creates action in an individual? All right, so I think there's a difference between doing uh, to create and simply being and in doing something consistently um, consistency compounds uh, consistency creates a conversion and a convergence of situations circumstances and all things that can then serve us later and so if we consistently do the hard things no matter what we think they are and we're doing the best that we can and always up-leveling our game, always learning new things, acquiring new skills. We can do, 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 you know, do ourselves to death just about. But our, our uh, rewards are in direct proportion with uh, what we do. Um, as long as what we're doing serves that end purpose and has that in the forefront of its mind, right? Um, so... Something interesting um, that I put together after listening quite a few times to Joe Dispenza's work, um, the cellular biologist, uh, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and and a a bunch of other podcasts is um, the whole thinking, feeling, creating um, aspect of life. And this is where the law of attraction, um, for me, scientifically, can make more sense because the law of attraction and the secret seem like a bunch of woo-woo bullshit, you know, half the time. I loved it. I watched it literally over a hundred (laughs) times to try and and get it to sink in because I believe that a lot of what 
was in that movie could be possible for me if I believed it. And if I hear it enough times with repetition, then maybe just maybe it'll work. And it did. But I never knew why until I listened to these other podcasts and, and read some books. So a thought, thunk once, creates a chemical cocktail that relates specifically with just that thought. Um, if we think it over and over, it creates the same chemistry uh, and the hormones um, that then produce a feeling within the body. And something incredible that I didn't know was a child has about 60,000 miles of blood vessels uh, within that little human body. Adults, we have more like 100,000 miles of blood vessels. Well, the way the body's set up and pressurized and, and created within two pumps of the heart, blood has reached every mile of the body. And this like this chemical cocktail, all the chemicals and the hormones that are derived from that thought, which is simply an electrical impulse sent throughout the body, or the brain, I mean, then is instantly, within two pumps of the heart, a feeling. And this feeling, um, Joe Dispenza teaches, feelings are magnetic in nature. And so we can think a thought over and over and over, and through this consistency and this repetition of this thought, we create an ongoing, consistent set of chemicals and hormones that creates then a consistent feeling or, or way of being. And it can become a habit over time. So this habitual way of thinking creates habitual way of feeling. And then this magnetic pulse now that goes out from the body, they're now, they've got research centers that are... Um, able to detect this magnetic pulse 12 to 15 feet away from the human that is thinking the thought and feeling those feelings, pulsating. You know, it keeps going outward. And this feeling, uh, this magnetic anomaly that's going on, or the norm that, you know, as humans with our five senses, we don't understand, whatever, it will either attract similar people, uh, things, situations, and circumstances to it, or repel that which is um, not magnetically similar to it. And the reticular activating system is just a, a small piece of this greater whole, this big tool that we can learn how to use consistently um, um, through like a great morning routine or habits or, or visualization, meditation, you know, whatever it might be. Um, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I, I think there's something to it. Um, honestly, based on my personal experience, I don't, I love, uh, let me preface this by saying I, I love uh, listening to Dispenza. I love uh, listening to Bruce Lipton. I love listening to all the plant medicine people out there. I love, I love physics right? Like the, just the natural world and how it works, or, or even, I, I guess you could say the natural universe, uh, and how it formed. I love all of these different ideas of how these different particles and energies bump into one another and create different things, right? So there's mm. obviously something to the fact that energy is real. Um, particles may, at, at, their, at their fundamental core, may just be energetic vibrations we don't know yet mm -hmm. right we don't have the technology to see all that stuff 
But when it comes to these guys like trying to tie um, like physics, like Joe Dispenza uses the word quantum in mm-hmm. the into the quantum a lot. When they try to tie this to like life, I feel like there's something missing. I feel like it's a bit of a stretch sometimes. Mm-hmm. Although the, I will say that from an anecdotal place, it makes a lot of sense. Right? When you draw an analogy between like the quantum universe and then like Newton's version, you know, of cause and effect versus the quantum where two things can be true at the same time, mm, yeah. right? Which we know to be real, right? Like your truth around your experience in February was different from my truth about you in February, but they're both true at the same time. So that's like an example of tying something in the physical world to like a dispenser type of quantum thing, right? I believe that thoughts are things in that when a thought is thunk, to use your word, love that <laughs> word, it, you know, you do secrete a chemical cocktail. That's a perfect description of what happens. And that chemical cocktail causes a reaction and that reaction causes you to think or feel or emote in some way, right? So I think there's validity to all of that. And so I, I don't disagree with any of it. I feel like <clears throat> there's some science that's probably missing. Like there's a missing link in there somewhere. Oh, tons of them probably. Of how it's tied together. We don't know yet. But my sense of it is it's going to be much like the Napoleon Hills and, you know, the, even older than that, like, Troward, Thomas Troward, for example, going back even further, um, you know, go back even further than that, like the mystics and the prophets and what they tell you is possible and what they tell you creates a good life is you have to know where you're going, right? You have to know what you want and you have to be committed. And if you have those three things lining up, then on some level, you're going to achieve some level of that success that you seek, mm-hmm. right? And so this is not new information. And what's happening is science is validating it with the, the psychological research that's being done today. And hopefully with the physics research that's being done, because that would be super cool to like bring it all together under one you know, ma- magical roof, right? Yeah. Uh, but we just don't, we don't, we just don't have the technology to like prove it yet. But I do feel like, in some level, that's going to be proven. Hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, and then, then be proven, and then proven at yes. a deeper level and a higher level. Or yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, right? Like you look at uh, social scientists or psychologists, right? And then you look at uh, ancient uh, prophets, mystics, the Stoics. Um, you know, your Trowards, your Napoleon Hills, and what do they tell you, right? They tell you to, you know, to, to know what you want, to visualize what you want, right? To set a goal, to work toward that goal consistently. And then at some level on some, t- on, on a long enough time frame, the universe will yield up what you want. Yep. And it, it will happen. It yeah. will happen. Right. And what is social science is telling us is that's exactly true. So if I go pick up Carol Dweck's book in the other room and I look at mindset, it tells me, okay, that the kid who doesn't eat the marshmallow, right, who has mm-hmm. the strength to, uh, to pursue this level of consistency of not eating the marshmallow because he knows that he's going to be rewarded with a second one, and he, he knows that if he does the work of being patient, it's, the reward's going to pay off. Science is telling me that what the mystics, the prophets, and the original, the OG, you know, personal development guys have told me is true. 
right? So it, it's, I think science is just confirming human experience on a lot of levels. Hundreds of years of it. Yeah. It's like, all right, this is well known. Like you literally, you, I mean, honestly, you had to have an experiment done for you to believe that. Okay. Well, this is, we've got human history here telling us we've got leaders. We've got all of these people who've done the work and have given us their word. Yeah. You know, so the experiments are great, but the experiments are just confirming what has already been taught. So then as a man thinketh, so is he, uh, who said that first? I don't know. Yeah, that's the, that's the great book by uh, Alan, right? As a man thinketh mm-hmm. covers that, that one sentence in depth. And, you know, of course the work of Viktor Frankl, um, you know, concentration camp survivor, um, the work of Carl Jung, right? Talks about, you know, the, again, confirmation of what human experience is, right? In order to, to go to great heights, we have to know our depths, right? We have to know our roots to reach our limbs to the sky. Like that's one of the things that Carl Jung talks about, addressing your dark side, knowing your depravity, mm. right? Yeah. He talks at, in, in length about this. He has dreams and he talks about his dreams and he creates a whole branch of psychology around this. But it's basically confirming, again, what the great teachers have told us over time. Interesting. I went to my dad and was talking to him about, hey, I've, I've got this anger and this darkness about me. And I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm trying to transcend it. And he goes, why would you want to do that? That's part of who you are. And I'm like, what? Well, to be, you know, to transcend that though, to, to uproot it and, and totally alleviate that from my life and get rid of it permanently. He goes, no, no, no. Anger is useful. That darkness is useful. Just find a place for it and keep it there for later use. And I was like, oh, Huh, my dad. Okay, that's cool. I can so do that. Your dad knows some shit. So yeah, look at that. Right, that's awesome. I was like, "Wow, dad, good one." I I really regret not going to him a lot more when I was younger, because mm-hmm. I'm starting to find out that the more I listen, the more I hear. That's super deep, though. Like what he's telling is telling us through you now. You're you're teaching me, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you feel like you can't have a dark side. Can't accept who you are. You can't accept who you are. You're hating who you are. You can't be human. Yeah. We're all dark and light, right? So at the end of the day, that's a hateful statement. It's a, it's a hateful thing to do to yourself, right? It is right. And yeah, I was hating on myself pretty hard back in February, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, love and fear the same way. Um, Ram Dass taught so much about love and fear. That was just beautiful. He said to truly love and accept and allow ourselves to be human is godlike you know we are uh, godlike and we are human and to accept both of those and live in the moment as both of those entities combined is is truly a, a beautiful way to live you know and yeah. I, I love Ram Das. I've been listening to a lot of his content I'm on like uh, episode 30 of here and now uh, Raghu Marcus uh, a lifelong friend of his for 53 years they knew each other He's been putting that out, and uh, there's over 15,000 hours of content that he's amazing. going to sift through and put out. So I'm excited. That's amazing. I got years of listening ahead of me. <laughs> yes, you do, for sure. Have you seen the documentary of his death, basically, on Netflix? Oh. It's called Going Home, I think. No. It's on Netflix? It's on Netflix, yeah. Awesome. It's, uh, More content. it's just basically him at his home in Hawaii. You know, he's wheelchair bound and you know he's spending time with people. had a stroke yeah yeah a stroke and uh 
So he's, you know, he's being cared for. And it basically just, it's him talking about his life Mm -hmm. and how he got to this point, you know, and how he knows his death is imminent and this and that and the other thing, right? And so that hence the name going home. Yeah. Here's a quote. He says, we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He was a beautiful man. Um, I didn't know this, but Wayne Dyer actually um, is the reason why he was living there in Maui. And he kind of put it out there to a bunch of people and said, look, um, I've got this friend, this amazing, beautiful soul, um, Ram Dass. Um, is there anybody out there who can help? Um, he's just had a stroke. He's recovering, you know. And and uh, this man from India, a wealthy doctor, bought him a home and said, as long as you're alive, you have a place to live. And it's right here, right in uh, Wayne Dyer's neighborhood. You guys can hang out, do retreats. And that's what they did. It's until amazing. Ram Dass died just this last year. Uh, beautiful stories. Um when I was in that dark place after February, March, whatever, um, I had a lot of anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, a lot of comparison things going on. I was very human. <laughs> and I was having a rough time. And Jeff Hirschberger, um, a friend of mine I met off of uh, Impact Theory League, I met a lot of great people from there, and they've become great friends. He sent me some of Wayne Dyer's content, and for two weeks I had that on repeat. <laughs> And that saved me, kind of, you know. But anyway, that that was um, kind of that lifeline that, that pulled my little uh, Jeep out of those ruts and got me unstuck and, and got me on the road again. So thanks, Jeff. You know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Shout out to Jeff. That's awesome, man. Kudos. So we have this nine-minute piece of content um, that I was lucky enough to discover about the RAS um, given by Mark Dawes. On, uh, on YouTube. And if you go to the YouTube search engine, it just says your reticular activating system. You put that in the search engine, uh, maybe the name Mark Dawes, D-A-W-E-S, and up it comes. Um, anything that you, any thoughts you want to share, anything you want to say before we play this? Well, why don't we link to that in the show notes? Okay. And then we can uh, let people... Um, Do it on their own. Yeah, because if we don't uh, bring it through the mixer, the sound's probably not going to be very... Very good. Okay, cool. Yeah, for sure. But is there something from that video that you wanted to pull out and discuss in more depth? Something that hit you? I know that you 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 said that there's a ton of impactful information oh, in that yeah. nine minutes, so we definitely want you guys to check it out. Yep. Um, I, I love repetition, but only in those things that will get me to where I want to be. The, the who that I'm identifying as in the future. Um, he comes up with so much uh, incredible content right there. He says that the RES is really important um, when it comes to the image of self and self-esteem. And um, we know from, uh, was it Bruce Lipton's work, that the first seven years uh, are the most important in a child's life. And uh, we are in a totally different wave state and uh, create the self-image and our entire belief system that will then uh, dictate usually the entire rest of our lives and how we make decisions, how we think about ourselves and others, um, how we view the world and ourselves. But um, he's suggesting that it's really massively important to work on how we view ourselves and using the RES to do that. 
um, just little tweaks, um, slight changes in our perspective um, that can empower us instead of disempower us, that can um, uh, help us to create instead of completely destroy ourselves and our lives and, and burn down everything around us and hurt all of our loved ones. And so that nine minutes in particular is brilliant. He, he talks about the fact that 40 billion bits of information per second with just our five senses is what is going on around us and in order not to become incredibly overwhelmed by all of that data, all that information that's constantly coming at us through our eyes, ears, nose, mouth, through feeling senses, that the reticular activating system is the thing that will filter out everything that we're not thinking about and focus only on what we are thinking about. So in the realm of self-recreation or personal progress, um, creating a future that we want, um, I keep hearing from everywhere uh, because my reticular activating system is now programmed only to pay attention to that, (laughs) that if we only focus on and think about what we want, we will have no time to focus on and think about what we don't want. And so all of that falls out of our life completely. And we no longer even have time for it. No energy left because all our energy is going towards what we do want. And I, I love that. That's beautiful. It really is. Especially when you think about the implications, right? When you think that through. When, when you say to someone, what do you want? Hmm. What do they give you? They give you a list of what they don't want. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? What do you want? Well, I don't want to work for this person and I don't want that type of relationship. No, no, no. I ask you, what do you want? Why does it that, why is it so hard for people to say what they want? I think in some small way, maybe we're afraid of that success. But why? Why would we be afraid of getting what we actually want? Does it mean we have to do the work to get it? And we're not owning up to that fact? And uh, maybe we want to wimp out and just be a victim? That sounds very plausible. I can certainly relate to that. Right? You know, if uh, I had this conversation with Christina this morning, I was telling you a little bit about our morning. <laughs> Didn't get off to the greatest start today. Oh, we all have mornings like that. We all have mornings like that. But uh, yeah, so one of the things we were talking about was lead follow-up. Right. It's like, okay, well, this is the role that you want to be in. Right. I send you some leads. I showed you or I told you how to follow up on them. Right. Did you follow up on them? No. Well, why not? You said you wanted to help build the community. Well, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to get that. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Right. So what is the focus? The focus is what I don't want. Fear. Fear. And there, and that's what's created. Mm. What was focused on was created, right? Rather than just being grateful for any answer, you know? So the perspective shift is, well, no matter what answer someone gives you, it's a good thing because now they're not riding the fence. They're in or they're out. And you have clarity, they have clarity, and you can be on to the next person, right? And when it's it comes not, to what we want and don't want, clarity is a must. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's interesting. It really is powerful the way that you worded that, the way that you just spoke about how it filters out what we don't want. 
But if our focus is never truly on what we do want, then literally we're, we're constantly attracting what we don't want. So a suggestion to all the listeners, make a list of what you do want. Um, just like you made a list. Brunette, light eyes, dark skin. Yeah. Smart, intelligent, good with money. So what do you want in uh, a love relationship? What do you want in uh, a business? What do you want in your own personal education? Uh, what do you want as far as a spiritual life? Um, what do you want in your emotional wellness uh, realm? I mean, if, was it Darren Hardy? Um, the Compound Effect is a book that he wrote. Um, I listened to that a couple times. Uh, it's on YouTube for free, but it's a book that I highly recommend people um, listening to or buying simply because he, he did what you did. And so when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, Darren Hardy did that. He, he made a list of everything that he would want in a mate. His list was four and a half pages long. Wow. <laughs> That's sick. Who is ever going to match up with everything on there? I feel like His a wife schlub did. now. I had, what, five what? or six on mine? Ten and, and maybe at the most? That's more than most people ever have the guts and the courage to endeavor towards. But I'll be damned if he didn't find somebody who met every one of those characteristics and tra- had all those traits, and yeah. just like you. Yeah, right. It's like, you know, you get what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. Right? You don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah. If right. you never ask, the answer is always no. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that uh, that you can get that specific, right, and then make it real. And the more specific. This is what John Earl Shof taught, and this was at the White House. This is the only recording I could find of him on YouTube, and I listened to it often as part of the morning routine, right? He, he said, the more specific you get with your visualization, the more likely it is that that exact manifestation will happen within the physical realm. This is way back in, I think, the 60s that mm. he was at the White House giving this speech to a bunch of people. And I'm like, what the hell? Where did this guy get this crap, you know? What, what's he even talking about, you know? But the deeper you dive into it and, and the more rabbit holes uh, interconnect under there and that you dive into, the, the more you realize that clarity, consistency, visualization, I mean, these are tools that we can be using to truly create from a place of love rather than fear. Yeah. And it's one of those two. It's, you can't sit on the fence forever like you were just talking about. You got to go from a place of love and create beauty and exactly what you do want, or you can create from a place of fear and focus mainly on what you don't want. And let's, t- let's talk about fear. 2020. What's been going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting segue, right? Yeah. Lots and lots of, lots and lots of fear, right? Yeah. Lots of, lots, lots of financial situations, um, you know, lots of tough financial situations. Obviously businesses shuttered. Our gym was shut down, of course, as part of the mandates. Uh, we didn't, uh, we were not, I think we, we did not get our little government check, you know, until like a week or two ago. Something like that. Wow. So it's like... Didn't save you when it was needing that, if you yeah, needed to be saved. You yeah, know? not that we needed it, yeah. but it's just one of those things. It's like if you were the person that was relying on that, right, and, and you got it as quickly as we got ours, <laughs> then I'm sorry, you know, that's not going to help you. Yeah. And then when it does get there, it's not enough really to do much of anything. So it's like symbolism over substance, a lot of, I think a lot of 
doubt has been created in people's minds around what they can rely on and what they can't. Um, you know, financial uh, health has been exposed. Physical health has been exposed. Mm. Um, habits have been exposed, right? Um, you know, like yeah. eating habits. Oh, yeah. Like who's at risk? Well, the obese and the elderly is really what it comes down to when we look at the numbers. And, you know, if your eating habits haven't supported your health, then you're well aware of that now. You know, if your financial habits haven't supported you not needing any help from the government, then you're well aware of that now. Mm. And so there's been a lot of awareness created. And I think it's it's one of those things where when you come from a place of scarcity, like my health is scarce or my financial resources are scarce or you're already afraid, you're already afraid that really focuses you in on the negative. But that can be a gift if you use that to steer the ship in a positive direction mm -hmm. is how I'm, I'm taking it. Right. So coming back to the RAS, right. The reticular activating system is implanting or showing us all of the things that we're now focused on. Oh, my health is shit. I'm too fat, you know, or maybe I'm not fat at all, but I eat like garbage, mm. you know, maybe I haven't taken care of myself as I aged, you know, maybe I haven't taken care of my, my mental health. Maybe I haven't slept enough. If like you're, you're like me, my sleep habits have been terrible during this time period. It's something that I really need to work on. And all of these things are, are a boost, you know, or a detriment to your health. And so these are things that people have been keenly aware of now, yeah. right? And this little paper mask is not doing anything, right? So yeah. at the end of the day... What's going to happen? Well, are we going to use this to revert back to old habits or are we going to use this as an impetus to change our behaviors and our actions and, you know, create some different outcomes for our health or our finances, our relationships, our well-being, you know, whatever the thing is that was shown to you, you know, whatever the thing is that keeps coming to the forefront of your mind, right? Uh, 2020 has exposed every one of us mm -hmm. for who we are. Oh, yeah. In a oh, big yeah. way. It held up a mirror and holy crap. Um, show me where I have work yet to do for sure. Grateful for the blessings in disguise that 2020 has brought. Um, where is all this fear coming from? I mean, it's almost as if uh, the general public is being, I don't know, uh, fed an overabundance of fear in so many different ways. You know, you pop up in the phone first thing in the morning, you're going to get a healthy dose of fear and, and things that come from fear. Uh, turn on the news, listen to the radio, you listen to a conversation at work. It's everywhere. And uh, is that what is already inside of most people right now? Um, the RAS is focused on fear, man. What, what's going on there? And how can we stop that? How can we uh, alter the course and, and drive the boat in a different direction like you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that's been exposed during this, what has it been, six months now? Like March, April, May, June, July, August, yeah, six or seven months, whatever it is, depending on where you are in the country. Yeah. I think the biggest thing this is has exposed is just, you know, who's bullshitting themselves and who isn't. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, What's your eye really on? You know, are you, yeah. do you have an interest in protecting yourself financially or physically or emotionally or, you know, um, you know, mentally? Do you have an interest in, in doing that? Have you invested in, you know, the reading like uh, or the writing or have you invested in your relationships? What are you truly invested in? Right. It's it's caused you to take a look at that. You know, you had couples who were 
quote unquote stuck at home together, <sighs> right? Because of the job situation. My wife and I would have loved that. Right? Exactly, <laughs> right? So is that... Uh, People killing each yeah, other, literally. Yeah. So is that exposing, you know, holes in your relationship, right? So I think it just it's just come down to showing people where the bullshit is. Mm. You know, I've been bullshitting myself about my relationship, or I've been bullshitting myself about, you know, being being doing well, right? Maybe I make, you know, six figures a year at my job, but I spend seven... Or I spend six figures plus, yeah. you know, every year. So the American way right there. That's the American way, right? It's like, how much debt can I accumulate, right? So at the end of the day, you know, it's I think it's exposed a lot of bad habits, exposed a lot of, uh, you know, weaknesses. Mm, like, absolutely. Like, like you were saying, but it's just, hey, where am I bullshitting myself? And it absolutely offers an opportunity to now do things differently, um, to come up with strategies and backup plans for what's to come because this is not the end of it. This is the tip of the iceberg, man. Oh, yeah. And we better get digging down deep and rolling up the sleeves and, and start doing things differently if we want to create a different reality. Right. Because if we keep doing the same things we've always done, we're going to keep getting the same things we've always gotten. Yeah, well, I mean, to answer your question more directly, you are asking where is it coming from? And obviously we've got, um, you know, the media barrage, which you alluded to with the phone. You know, you pick up your phone first thing and it's, this person did this and this person did that. And this celebrity divorced that celebrity and that celebrity said something stupid. Now, who cares? Mm-hmm. Right. That's not news. That's gossip. A and distraction. B, yeah, absolutely. It's like, don't look at your own life. Look at someone else's mm-hmm. life kind of a thing. Right. But then you look at the, if you, if you're, if you're still, you know, on cable television and getting the cable news, then you're getting this constant barrage of, fear and loathing and, you know, hatred and all this bullshit in the world. But the reality is if you look out your, your front window or you open your door, that's not what you see. Mm-hmm. So why are you looking at it on television? Like it's the end all be all. And it is the perfect representation of life. It isn't, but you know, the, the you know, and you know, this like the best thing that anyone can do is get off the news cycle, right? Get out of that. Uh, area because it's the job of the news media is to keep you afraid. That is literally their job. Yep. And if that's your focus, then you're going to be afraid. You're going to think this little mask is going to help you and you're going to be mad at the person that doesn't want to wear one. Mm. You know, it, it creates chaos. Yeah. And, exactly. And turmoil. hundred uh, percent. Peter Crone mm-hmm. said something that I love and it is um, a true measure of success uh, for anyone is to have the ability to remain at peace amidst the turmoil and the chaos and this world if like you're saying we're on cable news we're watching that and that's the representation they want us to see of the world that's nothing but turmoil and chaos well what's going on within you uh, and what's going on within me Um, what our mental emotional state is what truly is going to create um, through feelings and magnetism or the law of attraction or however you want to put it what's going on inside of our mind consistently is what is going to create our personal reality and if we want the personal reality to be what's on the tv then we're going to focus on what's going on on the tv and the res will then dictate what the subconscious will focus on and then consciously we will then create all all of that 
It's yeah, you see perpetual. it everywhere you go. Yeah, and that's all you see. That's, that's right. All you can see. That's how the human mind works. That's it, right. It's programmed that way, right? That's right. So then, rather than focusing on and having habits that uh, contribute to only focusing on what we don't want, what we're scared of, what's causing fear within us, why not then design a life filled with habits? Uh, starting early in the morning, um, which will set us up for success for the whole rest of the day and then have that day become a week of success and have that week of success turn into a month and then a year and then a, a successful life, whatever success means you know, to us as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can use these things as tools mm-hmm. to create what we want rather than suffering through what we don't want. And it's entirely up to us. Personal accountability, right? Right responsibility is our own. Yeah. I mean, freedom and responsibility are commingled and, you know, infinitely commingled. There's no way of separating the two. You know, if you want the freedom piece, then you have to be responsible for the actions that create that. Mm. Just like if we want a free populace, right, we have to have a responsibility in the populace. Mm. We can't have the everyone relying on government, for example, just in, you know, in a broad sense. But um, it's interesting that, that's easy to do. Well, is it? Well, they want you to think so, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, you mean the the dependency piece? To, yeah. yeah for sure. I'm a victim. I can't. That's right. You know. That's right. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You're a victim. You're no, this. Please you're take that. care of me. Come That's save right. me. That's right. Come I don't want to learn how to do that myself. It's That's too hard. Right. That's <laughs> right. And before you know it, you're dependent. And then once you're dependent, you are forever a slave. Mm-hmm. And that that's the end of the game. And unfortunately, that there's there have been entire swaths of our populace that have fallen prey to that, unfortunately. Without realizing. Without realizing, yeah, yeah for sure. But can, can they turn that around? Uh, I think can is, you know, is a question only they can answer. Like, if you're in that place, right? Mm. Uh, it's, is the possibility exist? Yeah, for sure. Can someone turn it around? That really comes down to the individual. Mm. Yeah. Are they going to go out and seek the tools and, and acquire the skill sets and, and do the hard thing that it takes to dig themselves out of that hole or ask for the help that gets their Jeep out of the ruts. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was the point I was going to make earlier, and you reminded me, and that's simply this, right? We have a entire population of people who are addicted to media stimulus and celebrity gossip. Like those are the two big things. If you open up any form of communication, that's the first thing you get hit with. So-and-so said this, and this person, you know, attacked that person. And, you know, it's just, it's just, um, it's just a constant barrage of BS that makes no difference in your individual life. Mm -hmm. Right. Who gives a shit if Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, have a messy divorce. Does that impact your life or my life? No, not at all. Only if we learn what not to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't this, give a uh, shit how much money Johnny Depp spent on wine. So why is Facebook giving me that headline? Mm-hmm. Right now, Facebook has a, a forced news feed mm-hmm. in their app now, right? Like I can't even turn it off, right? It's there, right? And so I have to avoid, I have to make a conscious effort to avoid it every day now if I'm going to use that app. So it's good habit. Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, it makes zero difference what someone else is doing in their life unless I choose to use that as a lesson, right? But I'm, most of the people that we put on pedestals are not worth creating lessons out of mm. unless they have the result you want to create, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, what do you do? Well, most people get sucked into that and, and they don't realize that six hours, four to six hours of the average American's day is spent consuming media of some sort, usually television. But what is the excuse you get when you say, well, did you read Napoleon Hill? Did you go to that seminar? No time. Did you hit the gym? I don't have time for that. Well, you had six fucking hours to watch some <laughs> bullshit on television and fuck around on your phone today, right? Probably half the time you spend at work, you're on your phone anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Where, where, you know, you're going to piss your life away, wake up at 70, look back and say, oh, well, I, you know, I should have, could have, would have. For you, is, uh, do you view that as a, just a, a habit that could be replaced with a more effective habit? Like the habit of getting on the phone, getting on Facebook, getting on, you know, Instagram, getting on the news, watching a movie. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the rest of it. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, provided that the user has control over themselves when using it. Right. Like Mm. you can be addicted to a drug. You could be addicted to alcohol. Well, I guess alcohol is a drug. Right. But you can also be addicted to food. You can be addicted to people. You can trauma, be stress, trauma, stress. You can be addicted to Netflix, right? You can be addicted to being a victim. You get. And what are we doing when we do that? Is we're sedating, mm-hmm. right? We're sedating. We're we're t- we're we're choosing not to look at the things that need to be looked at, and because we're not looking at the things that need to be looked at, our life passes unconsciously while we waste away in front of whatever the thing is, whatever our favorite, pick your favorite addiction, right? And Netflix and Prime and all the rest of them is is no different. So, I mean, I find myself, you know, listen, I know this stuff. I've read the literature. Like, I know how addictive this phone is. I know that these applications were specifically designed to be addictive um, with no regard for uh, the consequences. And yet I find myself having trouble putting it down. Yeah, me too. So I have to make sure that I am more responsible with it. So what do I do? The first thing I've done every time I get a new phone is I turn off all the notifications. Every time I get an update, I have to do it again because they re- they turn them mm. on automatically. They know that that works, right? Uh, and I turn my ringer off. Like Christina gets mad at me all the time. She's like, I called you. It's like, well, I don't, I don't have my ringer on, right? I texted you. Well, I don't have my notifications on. So if I don't have my phone in front of me, then I don't get any of that information, um, you know, through any of my senses. And that's the first step. But then the other thing I find myself doing is if I go in the other room, I feel like I have to take the phone with me. (laughs) Right? And so what I'll do is I'll make a conscious effort. I'll just say, all right, well, the phone stays in the kitchen. I'm going to go in the other room and do the other thing. Right? That is so hard to do. It's very difficult to do, right? Um, The phone goes to bed with us, you know. It's at the alarm clock, right? It's, at the, it's the alarm clock, right? That's Just the reason. That's the excuse. That's right. <laughs> so first thing in the morning, what do we do? Well, you pick up your phone. And what's the first thing you see? Well, I see this, a blank screen. Mm-hmm. I have nothing on my phone, no notifications, nothing. And then I, uh, I flip open this little application here, and I go to Drive, Google Drive. And the first thing I see is my gratitude journal. I hit that. And then I write down my gratitude entry for the day. So you can see today was day 1,054. So that's the first thing I do, right? And then the next thing I am do is I'm out the door to the gym. So by the time I get to looking at anything on my phone of substance, 
I'm well into my morning. You know, it's not, it's eight, nine, 10 AM. If I'm up at five and, and do this stuff and hit the gym, the gym's over with the gym. The class we hit is six fifteen. We're out of there by seven fifteen, seven thirty, And then, so by the time we get home, have breakfast and all the rest of it, that's when the phone stuff starts and the business stuff starts and the lead follow-up starts. But it's only after the morning stuff, the important stuff is done that we open up Facebook and all the rest of it. Or the TV or a movie. The TV, or, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, for sure. I've, I actually had to start doing something quite similar a few months ago where I, I have messages unread that I got this morning from friends that I'll read tonight at my designated time to read and respond to messages. And that's just the way it is. They know that they accept it. It's cool. Whatever. Yeah. And I knew you're doing that too, because when you and I were texting back and forth, like I knew I got to your texts like way late, you know, and some days I didn't even get to your texts. Yeah, and I got totally get that. Right. And, and like, cool I, like I know you totally get why, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you go through all, you process all that garbage. Most of it's garbage. And then you get to one or two important things like your text is important. This email from Jimbo's, you know, body shaper is not, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I don't care, yeah. you know, and so I, you have to unsubscribe and get through all that crap. Right. Yeah. And then so well, when that I would, takes time. Yeah. And then when I would text you and I would get a response like eight hours later or the next day, I knew you're doing the same thing. Yeah. Right? It's a good because habit. It's, it's, a it's great helpful. Habit. Very yeah. useful. A hundred percent. There are a ton of good habits out there that are super useful in creating from a place of love. And when we do that, we have those feelings because, I mean, creating from a place of love, we're thinking loving thoughts. Mm-hmm. That creates that chemical cocktail that coincides with the thought pumps throughout the body with the two heartbeats and then you have that feeling and here's the importance of feeling good as much as we possibly can all the time preferably right sometimes you know we we don't and that's fine that's part of the human condition but the more uh often we experience feeling good the the greater our capability is to heal faster our immune system is boosted um, more likely we are to actually go outside and, and go ground, you know, with Mother Earth. Uh, more likely are we to make love to our spouse or our loved one, uh, to be kind to our children. Every interaction is an opportunity to create something beautiful. And if we can go at every interaction with even the biggest a-holes of our life, you know, with that in mind, like, hey, I'm going to come from a place of love. And maybe my manager at work or some dickhead I have to deal with at work or, you know, whatever. If I can stop the judgment and the criticism and the comparisons and just come from a place of love and act out of love rather than fear, which produces anger, resentment, you know, bitterness, and and focus on what I do want rather than what I don't want and have habits set up from the very beginning of the morning, just like you do, to create a day full of success good thoughts, good feelings, and that chemistry and that magnetic pulse that will only bring in and magnetize the things that we truly want into our lives. The situations, the circumstances, the people, the things will come into our lives. It's a matter of time. Shit's going to happen. That's life. Right. But we'll get back on track and, and recorrect that course much quicker if we've got those habits set in place. And when I went dark in, uh, in February for a little while, my habits, um, I, I couldn't not express myself through writing every day. I had that as a habit. And it took three years to get to where I was at that point. 
but a, f- a few days of sleeping with a fever and not being able to really rub me the wrong way. I was like, oh, I really want to. It's not that I have to. That's something I love doing. It really helps me think better for the rest of the day. And so I went, bam, right straight back into writing. Mm-hmm. That habit then piggybacked onto the next habit, making the bed every day, What got back into that habit. And then bam, 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 they just start coming right back into play. And the doing becomes easier with the feeling good and, and the less stress that accompanies everything that goes on. And creating from a place of love is a great way to be. We all know what creating from fear feels like. Nobody likes it, nobody wants it, but yet it's become a habit. So yep. what are some habits, you know, that we can try out or try on, right? Sure. Like a, a, a shirt. I don't like that shirt. Throw it away, you know, give it away. Habits are the same way. You know, we can try on a new habit and then get a result. You know, you can't just try it once. You got to give it a month or two, right? How long does it take for a a difficult thing that you want to make a habit to really take effect in your life? Yeah, I think it depends on the thing, right? Um, The research on habits tells us it takes about 66 days on average for an action to become a habit in the first place. Mm. And that's a long time, man. It is a long time. Yeah. A lot of consistency. More repetition. than two months. And that's on average, right? So there's people who are well past that. Mm-hmm. And then people who are well, you know, in front of that number as well. But for me, it just, it's going to depend on the thing. And, and, and it's also going to depend on the, the, um, the activity, right? Like, I mean, if, if you, if you can only devote five minutes a day, you're not going to have the same result as someone who devotes an hour. Mm-hmm. It's just not reasonable to to think that that would be the case. But you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if, if the question centers around, you know, how quickly can I make myself feel something or feel better? I think the, quest, the answer to that question is almost instantaneously if you are, you know, doing that work whereby you're able to implant a thought in your mind that causes you to create the chemical cocktail that causes you to create the emotion and the feeling that you perceive as good, right? Mm. Have you tried that? If you haven't tried that, it's probably going to take a lot longer. And it's probably going to feel really strange, right? Like I mentioned my gratitude, gratitude journal. I start the day with just a line of gratitude because you know what? It helps me center around the things in my life that are good. But like you went dark in February, you know, I was in a pretty dark place this past week. You know, and I shared this with you and I wrote about it um, and made it public. And the reality is no matter what we do, there are going to be those times when, you know, disaster strikes, life jumps up and pops you one in the mouth. (laughs) And it's like, okay, all right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Yep, here we go. But the, the beautiful thing about this is this is how you know you're alive. And I can't stress this enough. You know, growing up, um, you know, my brother had issues with uh, depression. My mom had issues with depression. And I think the perception is that when you have a negative feeling that you're broken, because every ad you look at is smiling girls and beer. You know, that's every every ad you see, right? That's what life is. It's or Prozac and smiling. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's smiling people and beer or smiling people and some drug or right, whatever the thing is. But the reality is that's, that's bullshit, right? Yeah. If you only lived life happy all the time, 
you're not living life. There's, there, you're not experiencing the full spectrum of life. So life is up and it's down. And that means that you get the privilege of feeling, right, the sadness, the, like in my case, the inadequacy, the fear, the doubt that comes with what I want to create, the wondering if I'm doing the right things to generate um, leadership of self, which would ultimately generate leadership of people. Am I being the man that I'm capable of being or have I passed my prime? Is my life over? You know, like not small questions at the end of the day, but very small questions at the end of the day at the same time, yeah. like on a universal scale. What zoom in, I? zoom out. Right. Zoom Look in, zoom out, right? No person on this planet is significant if you zoom out far enough. We're just not. I'm sorry. Right. Like you, you're not going to make a you're not going to make a, a, you know, a gnat's ass hairs difference in the grand scheme of the universe, no matter how big or small you live your life here. The question is, are you happy with it? And that was the question that I was struggling with. Am I happy with where I'm at? Well, I've done a few things, right, that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. But man, my list of things I want to do is, is this, you know, it's massive. And I am, which is awesome. Which is awesome. And it's, it's, it's also awesome to think about <laughs> how far away from that I am, right? How much more growth, how much more I need to, to do and pull out of myself. And that comparison sickness if you want to call it that, when I look at other people who are further down their path, you know, that's a trigger for me. That's a negative trigger for me. Right. And so when you were talking earlier about knowing how to, in, you know, put habits in place that are going to put you forward, you also need to know which habits put you in place that pull you downward. Mm -hmm. And that means you've got to know your triggers. So one of my triggers is I can't look at what other people are doing all the time. I can, I can, you know, look at it and support what other people are doing, you know, uh, on, on a limited scale. But if I do it long enough, then I'm the type of person that I start to compare myself with that individual. And if I'm not living up to their life, even though I don't know anything about their life, yeah, right. right. I don't know their struggles. I don't know how hard they worked. I'm only seeing the end result. I still compare myself now to their end result. And who knows, they might be 20 years further than me. Yeah. I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's a negative trigger for me. And so I have to measure it. I have to measure how much I ingest or else I fall into that place, that dark place that you're talking about where I'm useless, I'm worthless. Nothing I do matters. No one's acknowledging me, right? I'm just this insignificant POS and I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting my talents. And what do I have to show for it, right? So all these negative, you know, self-hatred, type questions come to mind when all of that starts to hit i've now started calling that the itty bitty shitty committee <laughs> i think i got it from my mom <laughs> but that's present in every one of us we've got a boardroom filled with uh meeting goers that attend and um, sometimes that itty bitty shitty committee takes over and becomes the majority of the conversation that's going on in our minds mm-hmm and that's okay. That's part of the human condition as well. I think comparisons is uh, programmed into us at a very young age through socialization. And the need to socialize is, is prevalent. I mean, as parents, they all do their best to integrate us into society in a, in a way that will benefit us and, and make it so we're not, you know, dependent upon them forever, but that we can start creating something of, of our own. 
And uh, socialization, uh, Ramdas says something about that that I like. He said that we don't escape um, uh, kind of the, the negative impact of socialization. No matter how hard our parents try, um, we're rewarded um, for that which we uh, have done the work for. And if we don't get that A, it's not like we feel nothing. You know, we feel bad. And, and so in life, especially as young people, our, our limited perception as a young child and all of our beliefs that are created then around those perceptions um, become something that can really harm us later in life and cause us to compare ourselves to everything and everyone at all times. And uh, if we can get in the habit of being love, like Ram Dass teaches, you know, if we can create from that place of love, there won't be judgment, there won't be criticism, there won't be comparisons. And the greatest gift we can give ourselves is to provide a space within us where there is no judgment, no criticism, only acceptance, love, appreciation, allowance, tolerance, empathy, kindness. You know, if if we can do that for ourselves, then we become capable of doing that for others. But before we can do that for ourselves, I mean, RuPaul said, you know, hey, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anyone else? And I love that. It's so true. We got to start right here. We're not going to make a difference in the world if what we've got going in on the side of us is just the habitual listening to the itty bitty shitty committee, you know, mm-hmm. and paying attention to only that and what we don't want. We got to start with us and start creating what we do want and only focusing on that. That's a habit too. And at first it's freaking hard. It really is. 100%. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and we could get pretty philosophical about this. Uh, the The idea of creating from this thing, right? Creating from standard, right? Like fill in the blank with whatever word you want. It's a standard, and it's, so if you think, all right, I'm creating from from love. I'm creating from anger. I'm creating from this place over here, this thing. Well, you're measuring yourself against a standard still. So you're actually creating a, a gap between you and something else. Who's standard? That's right. Who's standard, right? And like, why do they get to say what the standard is? <laughs> exactly. But like, even if you use, like, use love, for example, am I creating from a place of love? Well, there's a gap. If, if you think the answer is no, then there's a gap between what you're creating from and, and love which means that you're in a place of lack Hmm. still, even though that you want to create from that place. So one of the things that's interesting when you start thinking about this is there's this idea that you create from nothingness, not from past, present, future, love, and just create from nothingness. And that means that you've experienced the thing fully, whatever the thing is. You know, I, I wrote about this uh, this past week, right? I had to feel every I had to feel every bit of the thing I was feeling, because if I didn't, then it wasn't dealt with, and that would come with me to the next place I go. Yeah, and that's the problem with the childhood traumas from that zero to six, zero to seven age group, where we've got a child's brain is basically in the lowest brainwave state or the slowest brainwave state. It's in a state of trance. And so everything that the child receives, the child perceives as monumentally important. 
you know, dad went to work and forgot to check on me. I'm, I've been abandoned. No, dad just went to work. Right. And so you, you start making up these stories as a child Mm -hmm. and you use those stories as survival mechanisms going forward. So how do you create from nothingness without dealing with that? We have to deal with it in some way, shape or form. And then the question becomes, is it possible to create from a place of having no history? <laughs> right? Because that's where creation comes from. It comes from, comes from nothingness or else it's just an augmentation. It's not a creation. If I'm creating from something known, even if I'm like, you know, if you look at, we talked a lot about Netflix and Prime. If you look at a movie, well, that movie was a lot like this movie. This movie was a lot like that movie. Mm-hmm. This song was a lot like that song. They're, they're all just extensions of an original movie, original song. And they get better and better and better. They get refined. Technology right? has taken massive jumps. So mm-hmm. you're talking about creating from a place of nothing versus creating from a place of what already is. Yes. What would be optimal, you think? To improve upon or to completely start over at ground zero? I think this is the question that I've been struggling with this past week. I don't know that it's possible to create from a place of nothingness, but this is what I was taught to do in my seminar work, create from a place of nothingness. And what I think they meant is not completely empty space, but a space in which you have dealt with or faced down whatever demon or whatever bit of baggage you've, you've brought with you. Right. Like that. So allow, accept, appreciate everything, the good, the bad, the light, the dark, the love, the fear, and know that that is who and what you are in its entirety. And once you're able to love, appreciate and, and allow you as you and know that you are enough, then Do you think that at that point everything's been dealt with and you can then move on and create from a place of quote-unquote nothing, being detached from all expectations, opinions, desires? Uh, How how can you like completely let go of everything and detach in such a way that then you can only focus on what you do want? I can give you a bunch of real-life examples. Uh, The most obvious ones that probably everyone have experienced has experienced is it have or has everyone has experienced would be um, a breakup, right? Um, and then from there, you can go back into childhood and you can go into all the common childhood traumas. I was unloved. I felt unappreciated. I was unworthy. It's always going to be like that. It's always going to be like that. Yeah, yeah. You're never going to amount to anything. You know, all of those itty bitty s- shitty committees of things, right? But so take a relationship, for example. I remember my first real relationship and my first real breakup like it was yesterday. And I remember the pain of loss that I felt. And I remember laying in bed for three or four days and my parents telling me it was going to be all right, you know, and that, you know, six weeks from now, you won't even remember her name kind of a thing, but I'm not six weeks from now. I'm six hours from what happened and I'm devastated, and I'm torn apart, and this is my first experience of, quote-unquote, being in love, right? And so at the end of the day, every day I woke up, I was connected to that, right? I couldn't create anything outside of that because I was connected to it. 
Um, I looked at my friends. I looked at uh, other girls, but I was still connected to the other girl, the one that broke up with me and that broke my heart. I was connected to her. So everything was being filtered through her, right? Could I trust this guy with my next girlfriend? Could I trust this girl not to break my heart kind of a thing? Mm. And then as time passed, I had zero feelings for this girl at all. Like nothing. Like I felt no emotion toward her, positive or negative. So I just what made the difference and why couldn't you have done that in the moment right after the breakup? Exactly. That's the great question, right? I mean, is there a system for that? I don't know. But as a as a teenager, I didn't have any of the tools. Only thing that that I had was time. Most adults don't have all the tools. That's right. okay. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I didn't have any of them. Yeah. I just had to wait it out. Ouch. Right? Yeah. That was my strategy, right? So, Learn the hard way. Yeah. Well, that was that was all I knew. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm waiting this thing out, and at the end of this, whatever this waiting period is, you know, I start moving around more. Movement, a huge key, right? I start seeing the world differently because I'm moving now. You know, the big key to anything is to keep moving, mm-hmm. right? So I'm moving, I'm seeing different things now. I'm having new interactions with different people. And each time I do that, I'm separating myself from the emotional baggage that I had with this one person, right? And before too long, because I'm continually moving through, right? It's like Robert Frost says, you know, the best way out is always through. You Mm -hmm. just got to keep going. And at some point, I felt nothing, right? So I could make a decision again, from this place of not being tied to her, my, this experience of my past. So that's how I think of nothingness in this sense. That one instance brought, brings nothingness. Not that my whole history is gone and that, you know, I've been a, a, a slate wiped clean, you know, none of that stuff. But just in this one instance, I have no energy around her. And because I have no energy around her, I can think clearly, move clearly, do different things. I can enter a new relationship healed, right? Mm. That's why they have the, the word rebound. Oh, well, this girl was your rebound or this guy was your rebound, meaning you weren't over this person. So all your thoughts, all your focus, all of it, yeah. and all your energy yes. was no longer going towards her and, and energizing it, growing it, making it get bigger. That's right. It shrunk and completely went away. So Dr. Joe Dispenza has a TED Talk. Uh, he says neurons kind of act in the same way, how a, a thought thunk will start building up that massive amount of neurons. They all combine together if you keep thinking that same thought over and over and over. Right. Well, not only that, but then it starts to recruit um, neurons from old thoughts to create the new thought, and that old thought then disappears. It's not even a memory after a while. That's right. So... To truly focus only on what we want and never even give a, a thought to what we don't want, that what we don't want disappears mm-hmm. naturally, easily, without working on it at all. Right. Um, Marissa Pierce says, uh, feel the feeling until it just doesn't need to be felt anymore. That's it. And when you said that uh, quote, I imagined an arrow going through, say, the waist, right? Lucky it misses all the organs. It's in the back and sticking out the front. And we look down, there's this massive arrowhead. 
oh shit, this is going to hurt. Are you going to pull it back out the way it came in and cause a lot more trauma? Or are you going to break off the other side from the back and just pull it right out forward and cause no more damage than it's already been caused, right? I'll vote for option two. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, on movies, we've seen both ways. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a better way. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy. I love that for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, So we, we spoke about closing up about a half an hour ago and there's just so much more I would really want to talk to you about but I know, uh, I know I have to save it for another time we uh, will man we'll definitely do that we'll uh hopefully we can make this a uh, regular occurrence like we had talked before oh yeah and we do. can have uh, these philosophical discussions <laughs> and and keep growing forward man keep moving ahead so I appreciate you uh coming up I know you guys are headed up to Sedona yeah have, have a little fun yeah go uh re-energize awesome man fantastic well, um, thanks again, man. If you have any closing thoughts, uh, feel free to throw them out there. For those of you guys who haven't yet met Pete, uh, be sure and follow him on social media. I'll link all that stuff up. Be sure and check out his website, Good in the Head. Um, he's got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of great information. <laughs> and he he's a fantastic writer, writes every day regularly, inspires me on the daily, and I know he'll do that for you as well. So with that said, man, is there anything that you want to promote going on in your life right now? Um. No, just habit acquisition. Um, even if you think you got it all dialed in and all figured out, there's always something else that uh, any of us can do that will more optimize uh, our life experience and, and create more beauty and love in our daily life. And so um, check out the habits of people that you see as truly successful and try them on for size, you know. Check it out for yourself and, and do it for at least a couple of months and uh, see what the results are in your own life and create something beautiful. Create from a place of love and only focus on what you truly want. And that's all. And that's, that's, that's plenty. <laughs> that's quite the assignment. <laughs> so with that said, guys, we will uh, let you guys get back to it and see you in the next episode. Thank you, Pete, for being here, brother. Look forward to the next one. We'll Thank get you. even deeper in the philosophy stuff. Till then, guys, Jason Archer, on behalf of Pete Jones, signing off. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.